Lisa, how are you? I'm really good, thanks, Mark. How are you doing? It's your morning there. It is very well. Yeah, well, just to hit midday, you are Friday 9pm, is that right? I know, and how rock and roll is our life that on Friday at 9 o'clock we're podcasting? <laughs> well, I know you've just come back from the the bar, should they say, the gym, that is. Of course, the, the gym bar. <laughs> yeah, there we go, there we go. So uh, how's life been, Lise? The, the novelty is still here, um, although we've had a second wave of um, um, COVID cases over in Melbourne. So everyone's a little bit panicky. The city is a little bit quiet, even in Sydney at the moment, because everyone's getting a little bit of fear that's rolling through. Um, but otherwise, from a work point of view, things seem to be picking up. And I guess we're going to talk a little bit about bold pivots. But definitely, I've been working with a fantastic software developer um, called Canal. So um, shout out for Canal, um, Canal Mind, who's we're working together on a few little startup platforms. And so I've been getting my head into some UX and UI design, which is not really our background area, but it's been fun to get involved in. Um, and have you been busy over there? Yes, yeah. So I've um, doing various bits of work. I'm working with a drinks company at the moment, doing some lovely sort of design projects for those guys, and so creating some. They've got some relaunches of some products. So I'm going to redesign and rebrand some of their ranges. Um, uh, and on a personal note, which is fantastic, uh, as you probably know, I might have spoken about it even in our last podcast. I was so excited. Gyms are opening, 25th of July. So Yay. what are we on now? We're on the uh, 17th of July. So next week. Gyms will be opening, um, but it's going to be a bit weird. I think, like you were saying the day, you've got to book your session beforehand, so before you go, it's all to do with controlling customer numbers. Yeah, but it's exciting, and it means that you can probably work on that fitness figure ready for the um, future podcast video. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, that's it, <laughs> yes. Um, then we've got uh, the economy. So here in the UK, we're, there is an upturn, but it's very slow right now. Um, it's a bit too early to tell. But there's been some big sort of commercial casualties and lots of companies have announced sort of um, mass redundancies and there are companies who are closing down. But there are others which um, we do hear sort of recruitment companies talking about how um, the job numbers they've got available are, seem to be rising, which is good. I guess it's quite industry specific, isn't it? Because, yeah, like I would say creative world here is starting to pick up a lot more. Um, but obviously, if you worked in something like travel or hospitality, then it's still taking a bit of a nosedive i think so i mean i went for a family meal the other day and um for the first time in months and but the the rest as you can see there's i think you mentioned it last time as well you've obviously got sort of tables that are spaced out um customer turnarounds in the restaurants is obviously a bit slower um with all of it so you just hope that that somehow that these companies can actually return We've definitely had a big spike in cases um, in one of the pubs in Sydney um, a few days ago because too many people were queuing up close to each other outside. And now they've, I think they've had like 78 cases from that one pub. And that's created a community transmission. So it's this ripple effect that just when we think that we're getting back to normal, it reminds you that it's not normal anymore. Yeah, oh, this is it. This is it. We've had similar sort of things here. So there's, we've Leicester, the city, had to sort of go into lockdown two weeks ago. I think they've just come out of it now. So they've noticed that they've reduced their um, COVID numbers. And don't you have to all wear a mask? Yeah, that's right. So now it's, I think it's become, although the government, you're still getting mixed messages about what you should and what you shouldn't do, but the government are now suggesting that the advice is, as of next Monday, it's now law by law, if you're going into a shop, you have to wear a face mask. Yeah, definitely. Like I've worn a mask throughout all of this whole process since it kicked off. And it's more just the knowing that like you're not, um, silly enough to think that you couldn't be a carrier even without showing symptoms. 
and it's more about security against everyone. But I can imagine, based on the UK and the kind of temperatures you've got at the moment, in a few months' time, there'll be loads of pictures with, normally you have a sunglasses mark on your face, and eventually you'll have a mask mark on your face. <laughs> but <laughs> the new true. tan line, bikini. That's quite funny, yes. Well, luckily at the moment, we've because of the... Um, the lockdown being eased very much and we're almost I wouldn't say fully out of it but um, certainly families can get together when we've got on you know as another bit of a, a personal added note with my youngest son Alexander is one years old this weekend so we've got a couple of family parties we've got sort of one here in London and then one down in um, Bradford and Avon so two family parties and sort of families get together in the garden so we can all socialize which is great um, and we don't necessarily have to wear face masks during those sort of uh, social catches F- fundamentally face masks are worn out and about when you're mixing with strangers in you know in shops and what have you in closed environments but um no everything everything's good everything is certainly sort of we're getting to, back to some normality i think essentially but uh, i know you guys are in sydney too I, just very quickly Liz, am i right in thinking that victoria is still locked its borders is that right yeah yeah yeah. it's locked its borders and certain suburbs of sydney have as well um yeah victoria's all the borders are closed and they're in quite a severe stage of lockdown again and it just shows how quick, quickly it can spread oh god yeah and out of interest are you still using the um track and trace app that you had can i be honest because i was so for it a few months ago but I've started to have terrible phone battery at the moment. And so I have deleted it from my phone. <gasps> I know. I'm that rebel without a cause anymore. Um, but we do. What was are you saying? Because it was using battery life. Yeah, it was starting to use battery life. And I've had so many issues with my phone. And it's a relatively new iPhone. And so I just went through and deleted all the apps that weren't relevant. And I just considered that not Maybe relevant. Maybe your phone's got COVID. Well, it could do. It does seem to cough and splutter every now and again. Um, <laughs> I haven't put a mask on it yet. Um <laughs> but no so I've de- I've deleted that um and there's been a few issues with it not security issues but actual I know you've had it with the UK one that they're developing as well functionality issues but every restaurant or every cafe that we go into um they make you we even went to a local market because markets are open here so there was a local outdoor market last weekend and they make you sign in when you go in and you put your phone number so that any ca- cases are, you get notified by phone which is probably quicker than using the app anyway, to be honest. I mean, I wouldn't like to be the person that has to go through all the phone numbers, but it seems a sensible way to do it. So today's podcast is primarily around sustainability, how brands have been coping with their sort of value messages, what they were doing pre-COVID and post-COVID. We've been talking about doing sustainability for a long time, haven't we? And we've been talking quite a lot about, and it's been a, it's been a consumer, a behavioural shift and trend for ages, for years And it's just getting bigger and bigger. It's not going to go away. It's going to evolve and it's going to emerge as an even bigger trend year after year. But I guess this whole COVID thing has made people even more aware. Um, And we're just going to talk a little bit more about how it's kind of even divided things in some ways. Because also we want to be sustainable. We want to be eco-friendly. But we're also everyone in there's an economic crisis at the minute. So it's all about not extra money to buy organic produce and things like that. So even down to those kind of. And it's gone. It's definitely gone a bit beyond the days of us saying, "Shall we pick a recyclable paper for that packaging?" Just, I'm going to touch on it very briefly. I know you wanted to talk about brand pivot. In order to talk about the subject of sustainability, I think previously we've done this before in previous podcasts, is discussing what the definition of sustainability actually is. So we're at least we're talking about it in the right manner. In this context, for example, when we talk about sustainability, it's based around what we would probably terms as profit, planet, and people. So if you're 
um, companies' values are focused around those areas in a positive manner. So again, profit, planet and people, I guess in more commercial terminology, looking at economic, environment and social. Um, if your company's values are based around those three pillars, then you're creating a sustainable business platform and again, positive messaging. Um, would you agree with that, Lise, on that sort of definition? And you may have your own sort of form. Definitely, that's a really good definition. And I suppose the rise at the moment in minimalism and things like that means that people are very conscious about where they put their money or where they put their time. So it's about time as well. Um, and about we, we're generally demanding a lot more from the brand's services and everything around us that we use to be more conscious of the planet. Um, and I mean, I've been working with a company or been talking to a company this week that advise people which businesses to invest in based on how sustainable that business is. I think that's common practice, actually. A lot of investors and pension funds and what have you will base their um, their information on how sustainable the businesses are. I think if I remember correctly, when you're looking at pensions, you are asked whether you want the, your portfolio to be um sustainability focused in some capacity um, and I think more so now than ever you're pushed into that direction to ensure that whatever you're wherever you're putting your money ensure that it is backing sustainable commercial businesses as opposed to those who are aren't necessarily that way inclined and that's definitely where it shifted in terms of years ago it used to be sustainable or eco-friendly was an option whereas now it's almost like you're shamed if you're not buying into the eco-friendly so it becomes that box that if you don't tick that box or you don't carbon offset your fuel when you fly, when we were allowed to fly, then you almost become shamed into not doing it. And I think that's where the shift has been. It used to be a privilege and now it's a non-negotiable. Mm. Do you think uh, as well, I mean, that probably brings us quite nicely onto that sort of little uh, subject of brand pivoting. And do you think that's had a, a play on that? I definitely do. And I think, I mean, look, bold brand pivots is something that really excites me. There's a really good article on trend watching if anyone wants to dig even more into it. But this whole pandemic is kind of, it's people redesigning their whole business models, which for sustainable reasons, they would have been doing before COVID. They would have been going, look, we need to be more planet conscious. We need to think about the future. All of the planet Earth and David Attenborough opened our eyes to all of this. I mean, we, it was there anyway. We work in an industry where we were probably more aware of it. But, you know, the conversations I've had walking into, um, a client meeting where we're talking about packaging and I work with a really great team at Parker Williams that would educate people that black packaging isn't premium black packaging is killing the earth because it's like dropping ink into water it's you can't recycle it it's just not possible whereas for a long time and it's a really small thing but for a long time there was a perception that black packaging was premium but black plastic packaging is not recyclable and so it's an educational process but I think because there's so much information out there now and we've got a legend that is David Attenborough our eyes are all more aware of okay how is this good how is this better or is there a better way of doing it kind of people question things a lot more we've spoken one of our earlier in the year podcasts even when it came to banking we spoke about people shaking it up and saying that when you stop spending when your bank goes over a certain limit or when you offset it with carbon fuel, then it stops you spending money. Like it just puts a block on how much you can spend from your cash card, which at the time we were like, no way. And I mean, I wouldn't like to buy into it now, but you know, there are certain um, ideas that are coming through that are completely against years ago. And this is the bold pivot. It's a bank going, people want access to their money all the time. Well, as a bank, you've turned around and gone, we're going to stop you having your money when you're starting to waste away the planet. So you're going against everything that banks have always been about. People should have their money when they want it by going, no, they shouldn't because we're going to set a rule. And it's, that's brave for a bank because most, you know, 
you would think most people go like, I don't want that. I don't want someone stopping me having my money. But it's actually, a, it makes you, it's a conscious consumer mindset. Um, and in terms of um, things that, are, in terms of a business pivot, we've seen it so much recently. We're probably all sick of it. People who used to make gin now making hand sanitizer. And I think much, and, and that is something that you go, but it helps people and it's great for society, but it's also sustainable for them as a business because they weren't able, no one was allowed to go out and drink gin. They could do it and put it in bottles. So it's sort of, it's helping the environment and it's helping people, um, but it's also helping them as a business. So it's sustainable on different levels. It's helping the economy because it means they don't go under. So I think for me, it's people taking that risk and redefining everything that they ever thought of. But those particular companies, I think, um, some of them initially were perhaps doing it out of, and I think that article talks about it, about brands doing that pivot um, to score PR points. Um, but then there became a point where because certain industries were being locked down completely and couldn't commercially function, they were having to sort of, pivot to a certain extent and produce whatever they could in order to sort of help the community in some way. Um, but also um, they had to do it out of sort of basically sheer commercial necessity more than anything. And I think, and I think that's fine as long as, I mean, there's other um, sort of consumer trends and things about glass box branding. And we spoke about it before in terms of what people want from brands. They want it to be transparent, connected and be honest. And if it's a business, you go like, yes, we've done this to help people. But, you know, also we had to save ourselves. I think people are really, now is the time that people are really understanding. So it's a good time to take risks. And that for me is the bold pivot. It's about going, well, look, we might as well have a shot at it. And change it I mean that goes back to your core values but you can still flex and pivot based on those and I think there was a nice um, there was a nice little statistic that 51% of UK consumers think that businesses are responsible when it comes to ethical and sustainable sourcing and products and so we actually do hold brands and businesses responsible as consumers that's quite a high percentage so we do we do look to them to answer the question and then or help involve us in the journey. But you, you have to argue, I guess everyone has to argue, there is a degree of responsibility had to be, and the, or the owners and responsibility has to be put on the consumer as well. So they have to understand this and you have to play your part too in this. Um, it's not just down to these brands. Um, and I guess that could be down to the consumer making the right choices. Definitely, yeah. And that, and that even goes down to, you know, not just the brands that buy, you buy, but also your habitual, like what you do on a day-to-day. So I know that we were talking a little bit about um, sustainability being a service. So we still want convenience and we still want like a takeaway cup, but we want it to be recyclable or we want it to be less environmentally impactful. So I think um, when, we talk, when we were talking about sustainability um, and, and how brands have been sort of having to perhaps, let's say, pivot or adapt during the pandemic, I guess the question I was asking myself throughout this is, do, you, do brands still care about sustainability um, during the pandemic? There, there are so many questions raised about right, what, what is right, what is wrong. Um, can you still have sustainable, sustainable values and pursue them during a time when you're having to sort of basically keep your business afloat? And I think this, this is a point for me. I was reading earlier about um, some Australian businesses and one that had a management agency. But obviously when all of this kicked off and their work went to zero and they started to work together and think about what they could produce. And they actually started working on producing scrubs for hospitals and things. And then they started in doing that, they started doing like designer ones, like funky style scrubs. And they've consequently earned a bit of a business for it. People will supply or that people will go, I'll buy the material if you make them for me. So they've kind of completely shifted their mindset and their business model. And you do find that people, they've now made a business of it. But when they first did it, they said, we just need to do something. 
And I think if you if you go out and try and help people, it will shift to being you can monetize it. It's not you never should go out and just want to make money from it. If you go out and help enough people and do what you do and put enough like good things out there, I think it can twist and turn around and kind of come back to you. You can shape a different model. If you have a business mindset, you can turn anything into a business model. But I think getting the mind of we just want to do something that's beneficial and can help. And they've, I mean, they've created a whole company now called the Happy Scrubs, and they've got people that work for them and produce them, and you know they support healthcare workers and have government funding and things. Which is, you know, there's great happening all over the world. That's it, and long may it continue. You kind of hope that those businesses. I mean, we were talking before about this is an opportunity for entrepreneur, entrepreneurial businesses to really thrive because there was that expectation of people to to companies to be more sustainable and i actually think it's it's elevated sustainability in that it's just expected like all of the brands that we buy into we've started to become expected that it's not it's not niche anymore we want everything to be more consumer conscious i was reading a really interesting article the other day about um companies values and i think the statement which i've heard before values are as important as values we're talking about brand values are important as price and he was discussing about consumers falling into two different segments or two different sectors so you've got the value-driven consumers who are obviously all about sort of they want their money's worth from the brands and then you have the purpose-driven consumers who are ones who will f- make their decisions based solely on the brand's focus uh, on uh, alignment with their own personal values are these brands willing to sort of make the um, or let's say walk the talk when it when they're talking about sustainability and they're the ones that you've seen through the covid pandemic so we talked yeah that was very much about purposeful brands and personalization of brands so you talked in the last podcast about the laundry liquid people that do it by subscription so actually subscription services throughout this whole situation and it becomes more um economical and more ethical because you only use you only buy what you use so it becomes that like you don't over consume. And that, again, is a nice model, whether it's your laundry liquid or even down to, you know, Wolby Park years ago with the glasses. You only buy what you consume and you only supply. What, what and was that it, last it was, one, Liz? What, what um, was the last example? Wal- Wolby Parker years ago set up um, subscription glasses. It's a really good, there's a really good talk by Adam Grant that talks about original thinkers and seeing an opportunity that most people couldn't afford to go to an opticians or buy really expensive glasses or they didn't, they weren't able to get to the opticians. So Warby Parker spotted an opportunity to kind of launch an online glasses platform that brought them to a more affordable price for, for the masses, I suppose. And I think, I mean, it used to be that subscription services were usually quite expensive, be it, you know, people used to buy into wine and things. And now they're actually using it as a real effective way to kind of drive sustainability. And I know there was, um, there's also been quite a lot in this consumer mindset that I've, I was reading the other day about a lot of, there's a loop zero waste innovation that's been set up where you can refill certain containers. Um, so names like Nestle, Unilever, um, and Procter & Gamble and things are producing cartons that you can just reuse. You've sort of seen a little bit in stores in terms of you've had like refillable soap containers and things. But I think it's taken on. And once you see people getting together so these companies have got together to do it then it becomes, again it becomes more of a believable thing it's like a there's there's um, people getting together drives the purpose doesn't it especially if they're competitive space i think that loop one's a good example actually if i remember rightly i think i was taught, reading another article um a trend watching article and it spoke about the loop um brand and zero waste delivery services so essentially if you've got your sort of door-to-door service of let's say a home delivery of of groceries if it comes in a container or bag um that 
container will be taken back by the delivery uh, company, um, essentially eradicating any sort of use of single-use plastic and that purpose. So, yeah, really good example. It really taps into that convenience mindset as well, doesn't it? Even when, um, I, and I'm sure in the UK, it's the same, quite a lot of people have bought into the cooking from home. But there's quite a lot of companies that supply to you a kit to make a specific meal. And there's only everything you need to make that meal. So again, you're not wasting food because how bad is food wastage? And it has been for a long time. So you're actually empowering people, but making it easy for them. So, you know, you've got your box full of things that gets delivered so you can make your, your meal for the night. But there's nothing more than just what you need. I'd love to see those numbers, actually. I know there's companies, there's one, I don't know if you heard in Australia, called HelloFresh, and they do exactly that sort of service. I'd love to see how they've um, fared over the last sort of few months, whether they've seen an upturn in business. There's been an upturn here. I was reading a little bit about it the other day, actually. Um, so there's been an upturn in those kind of companies here, but also quite a lot of local businesses have started doing, here's your meal for the night, but you cook it yourself. So there's definitely... There's two cafe businesses um, locally to me, and both of them do a, we provide all the kit, you just have to cook it, and it's like $40 for a meal deal or whatever. So it's definitely when this started. They've, now they've started opening again, and they're able to serve food, and then people have started dining in there. But during the times when people couldn't dine in, they would give you all of the kit to make your meal as if you were going to their restaurant, rather than it being pre-made. Reminds me, I think McDonald's and KFC have been placing advertising boards about how to create the your McDonald's burger at home, giving you the ingredients, essentially sort of have your McDonald's experience um, in, in your own kitchen. I doubt it tastes quite the same. It's a great idea and it, it drives brand connection as well because you're watching a video and when you absorb something, you've watched it, then you've followed a process. Like, I, like you and I are both creative people. So like I'm a kinetic learner. If someone shows me and I create it, then I remember it. So you'll actually make that brand connection and go, oh, look, McDonald's helped me make this burger or Home across the road help me make this you know chicken dish or whatever so i think there's, it just drives that brand connection a little bit more to be able to do it that way it's really smart branding and it, yeah i think also it's sort of it, you're bearing all essentially you're saying we are not just so commercially driven that all we want is your um pound essentially we're telling you listen if, if you want to if you you want to keep enjoying our our brand here's how we do it is what we do essentially you're opening your secrets up so it's not that they're giving you the kfc secret ingredients but they're certainly showing you what to do and essentially you know we are your friend we want to help you we know you're stuck at home here's how to feed yourself the, the mcdonald's way or the kfc way and i would say there was a naivety and an honesty that would come from a small business but the bigger businesses they've got brand strategists working for them will know that that will down the line drive connection to their brand <laughs> that particular article the trend watching one i think the other good example that they spoke about was recyclable clothing where as part of a subscription i'm i think a perfect example just talking before about our baby alexander um he goes through clothes like nothing else and the idea being that you um if you if he outgrows certain articles of clothing and obviously you can return those and recycle them and they will then give you a discount in order for you to be able to um, get the next size up of clothing so I think that whole notion of having a sustainable, recyclable clothing um, service, I think is brilliant. And when you think about the seeds for where this was planted years ago, so I know years ago you used to be able to, like people like H&M would say, bring, a, well, bring one of your old jumpers and you get $5 off a new one and we'll recycle it. So I think the trickles of it and the seeds have been there a long time, but now just people are more aware of it. 
and a bit more exposed to it, that, that, that we start to demand it. We go like, right, I'm always going to use that service because it's better for the environment. We feel more empowered by it as well. We feel like we're contributing. So it's not just a brand doing it for us, we're contributing because you're taking Alexander's clothes down there. So it's kind of like you're you're making your part and we all like to feel like we've contributed. We like to feel, you know, like we've got a reason to be as well. And that's that's your purposeful consumer that you mentioned before, isn't it? Do you, I'm just a, just a thought here. Do you think consumers are going to be, for the for the most part, a lot of the the working economy have been trapped in their own houses for months, three four months, and for the most part, I mean, I know I'm guilty of this. You've been wearing, I've been wearing shorts and t-shirts, and certainly nothing of of any sort of corporate attire whatsoever. Um, and it, you're going to get to a stage and think, hang on, if, if the com- economy is opening up again, I've got to go back at least for a few days into offices and studio environments. I'm going to have to get some new clothing. Crikey, Moses. So I'm going to have to think, how am I going to approach this? I can't go out in shorts and T-shirts all day. I've had a couple, I've had a couple of meetings this week and it's actually been, it's been nice in a way, but it's been like, oh, I feel like I'm going to get suited up for this one. Or, you know, like, you oh, just put something other than your gym gear on. Yeah, I guess my point, my point is whether, it, do you feel, oh, I've got to go, and get, get out, got to go out now and buy some new clothes because all the stuff I had last year isn't perhaps, you know, of the latest fashion or doesn't, I mean, certainly in my case, doesn't always fit if you put on a few lockdown pounds well it's in, in australia in australia it's pretty easy going and i suppose because we're in the creative industry generally we can even just put a blazer on over the gym gear um <laughs> i don't know it worked for me but you, yeah. like i spoke, spoke to you about my networking night the other night and actually it was, like, it was weird for me to get kind of proper dressed up to go out but yeah the novelty sort of wears off a little bit um, but yeah it's interesting isn't it there's there's quite a lot of um clothing hire shops here that's quite big in sydney so like if ever you'd needed because australia is quite laid back that most people wear like smart casual most of the time and so they've just there's been a huge boom in hire shops where you can just hire clothes if you need i'm not sure you'd wear them just to go down to the studio for a meeting i thought the other um interesting point uh and that's very same article was actually talking about um brands that perhaps are breaking the category code I love this um, one. This goes back to it our wasn't bold it brilliant. Pivots. This is our bold pivots, isn't it? Yeah. So it's about those that are breaking the. Uh, I guess I can't remember the phrase it was, but something about the breaking the or going against the DNA coding of the of the category. Yep, it was going against the industry norms, wasn't it? So there were things like um, Coldplay decided not to tour when they released a new album. I mean, this was pre COVID. Pre COVID. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's how how brands, I guess, are um, adapting. Um, allowing consumers to sort of, uh, of allowing, enabling consumers to see that they they as an organisation are doing everything they can. And of course, it's again we're talking about that brand connection. Um, if it's sort of, I, mean, I think a, a KLM was an example where the KLM, the airline, was saying we want you to fly less during this. And why would an airline tell you to do that? And you kind of, as a sort of consumer, you start to say, okay, if a if a brand such as KLM are suggesting that that's what we should do, and that's what that's their product that they produce or that's what the service they provide um there must be something in it so almost your ears prick up then i thought the ikea one was really good as well that ikea had a store with there's no parking yes to discourage people i mean like i'm not quite sure how that works if you need to get a bed because you have it all home delivered. yeah so they had a delivery service just just the fact that yeah just the fact that they've gone no you don't bring your car here is a complete stand against like that's everything you always have to take the car to ikea and the other one was that vogue because it had no photo shoots yeah, in a magazine. I quite yeah, like a, ma- a magazine words. without any models and photo shoots in them, um, which is interesting, actually, because I've got a friend who she organizes like catalog photo shoots, she books the models and things. And she was saying at the, like for the past 
four months they've not actually been able to organize any because you can't get people together to take photographs of them so actually Vogue will have done it for a sustainability point of view but actually the reality is it's not been able to happen in most forms anyway it, the movies is an interesting one as well so we was talking about our cinemas are open here but um, we we're talking about I went last week and we we're talking about like is there any because they're just showing old movies old classic movies I mean we went to watch one uh, Guy Ritchie movie um, but so they can run on that for so long but ultimately we want new movies as well so it's like I know they had a few stock piled up but it's just kind of banked them hasn't it because they've not been able to make any more yeah, there'll be plenty to come out. Um, but you're right, though. It's almost like there's going to be a hole in the industry just simply because they haven't been able to provide and produce. We were listening to, when we both shared a bit of a Mintel podcast, and Mintel do some great little podcasts anyway. Um, they were talking about sustainability in terms of a beauty perspective um, and whether or not the ingredients that go into our skincare, and everyone's so much more aware of the health and beauty in general at the moment. I mean, look, from a sustainability point of view, we could also look at the food industry. So that's another topic we could go into. And I've been doing lots of work in the lab-grown meat space, um, being more sustainable to the future. Some really great brands that I've been finding out about, like Val Meat. And there's so much of it that I didn't realize was already happening. There's a bit of a science nerd that's like, wow, you can recreate meat in a lab without actually you know, donated by the animal DNA. So we can even talk about sustainable sourcing for food, but it also comes to beauty as well. So we all want vegan cosmetics and we want vegan beauty now. But the interesting thing about the Mintel one, and it was quite a long-winded podcast that talked about ingredients, was more about during lockdown and during the pandemic, some people have just not cared about it. Like, I'm not going to face the world. I don't care what I'm going to look like. And I think I'm a flick between the two categories. And some people have gone to doing-it-yourself beauty, you just kind of buy these DIY face kits and things and giving themselves as good as going for a pedicure even, but they just do it at home. So to a certain degree, that's sustainability because you're not you're saving money by not going to a salon. You're spending time on yourself and then you're sourcing all of the things to do it yourself. People are even kind of make, making their own mixes and compounds and things. So I think there's a sustainability aspect of that as well. Well, yeah, exactly. And people doing their own haircuts and then thinking, you know what, I'd normally be spending £50 or $50 every few weeks on a haircut. Not that I would, but I guess the female market would potentially be spending those sorts of numbers on their face. Hang on, I can do this at home. I think the other interesting point that they spoke about in that particular podcast was beauty and cosmetics. A lot of the packaging related to those sorts of products is generally quite, I say luxury based, certainly the higher end. The higher end products tend to come in quite premium spec materials and premium finishes. Uh, and I think they were talking about the idea about the packaging not necessarily being the sort of key focus. Therefore, does it need to be shelf ready? Could, could it come in, let's say, a stripped down version, uh, simpler, more, let's say, sustainable in many respects? I'm not a believer in that. As a packaging designer, I think that every product needs to have that impact. Even for when you take the product home, you need that unboxing experience and you want to be able to be proud enough to have it on your bathroom cabinet or something. No, I think I kind of go a bit against that. And I'm someone like I love to buy. I'm a packaging area too. So I love sexy packaging. But I think there's been, whilst there's always been things that are overpackaged, and yes, you want to get home and open it and you have that unboxing experience. There's also companies that have been built on sustainability like Lush. 
Now, I don't personally, I don't buy Lush because the smell of it just overpowers me. But Lush is a business that's been built on sustainability and it's always been their ethics that you go in and you fill your own container or they, you know, you, you buy it in a container, then you take it back and refill it. But the packaging's cool enough that actually I like that I'm adding to the environmental effect, but I also get good packaging. So I think as designers, our challenge is to how can we still make it a, a must have item, a brand that you want to buy into, but also not over package it? I, it will depend on the category. There are certain categories that perhaps that's what you associate with that. So, for example, if you had a, a is it probably um, I'm not quite sure if it's a good or bad example. Let's say a premium bottle of aftershave. If that came in, let's say a recyclable tube or a vessel that perhaps isn't doesn't quite look as particularly premium, and when you hold it, the weight of it, all those sorts of, sort of key connections you have for that product. Even the bottle itself, like if you bought it. But I think it, it depends how edgy the brand is, because I, I agree, like I think there's a weight that comes with the aftershave or the perfume that you buy. The kind of weight dictates how quality it is as well. But if if a brand was bold and confident enough to put it in a test tube and have a sexy label on it, would you buy into it? Because it's so different. So I think there's a way that things and this is your bold pivot, like I want to do something so different. It's so much more environmentally friendly. Maybe I do the aftershave and it's in a science lab bottle if you're edgy if you're brave and edgy enough to do it and own it then i think it can work but otherwise yeah there's there's just you know psychological things that go on in our brain that goes you know if it feels solid then it it's a quality product so there's you know there's you've got a lot of perception shifts to change unless you are going to go completely opposite yeah absolutely and it may well be this it may happen over a, period, a long period of time over sort of a, i don't know a number of years where brands do have to sort of tweak themselves and adapt to make sure that the they have their more sustainable ranges and yet the ultra premium ranges may still exist in their ultra premium bottles but you pay for that um luxury and you pay for the environmental impact that that product is going to have there's also quite a lot and i'm sure they exist in the uk as well where you can go and mix your own perfume or your own aftershave so there's something about that as well like there's something about this whole science lab based thing and that we're part of the creation i am sure you know during lockdown that people have been not necessarily been using as many perfumes and aftershaves and been basing their smells on their own pheromones so you probably all smell of detol at the moment yeah. <laughs> well <laughs> Either that or sweat. If I sort of, you've been training all this time, I've certainly spent a lot of time training. That um, I certainly don't smell as nice as I probably would do normally. And yeah, that's my own personal issues. I've got this perhaps uh, to get over. Hopefully not COVID related. Um, do you okay, Liz? Do you have got any more examples of brands that we think are doing sustainability well right now? I know we spoke about a few before. Yeah, there are obviously the ones that have been doing it a long time. So you've got your um, Patagonia we spoke about last time. But I think generally those brands have become more affordable. And so therefore they're not niche brands anymore. But I think even in terms of sustainability, people like Impossible Burger, even the name and the, the branding of Impossible Burger tells you you didn't think it was possible to have a burger that was good to the environment and good for you too. And so I think those are the kind of mainstream brands that I think do sustainability well because they teach us to think differently about what we always expected and had. People like Tesla and stuff like that are obviously the brands that we all want to buy into. And actually, I mean, I'm a bit of a Nike advocate, but they've just released trainers made from, I think it's um, it's like recyclable plastic all in their train. I think they saw they launched today and I was trying to get my hands on a pair, but they were gone. Um, so this is just like the, the the ones that do it well are the ones we've seen doing it well for a long time that have continued to do it well throughout COVID. But then also the ones that 
around us. It's a, the challenge for the smaller brands. They've kind of done their whole business model can be more ethical and sustainable. I thought it was quite interesting as well when we talked about their bold pivot to the German coffee company that started using their filter machine. Instead of making coffee filters, they made uh, masks. So that was kind of I've heard so many sanitizer stories lately that it was nice to read something that was about what else have people done to help they've made masks out of coffee filters. What about you, Mark? Have you got some big brands that you can I the biggest one that I had that keeps sort of coming up to my mind, I've got a bit of a man crush on Elon Musk and his <laughs> achievements uh, to date. And so his, I, I, again, I think you just mentioned them before about Tesla, but what he's doing, and if you think about longer term, how he's approached it, how 10 years ago, his brand Tesla was the expensive product um, right at the top end of the market. Um, it, was a, it was a real niche product. And now it's become very much an everyday example. Uh, and he's almost re-engaged the people who you perhaps love old style cars and thinking you know you can still get from a to b in a stylish way which is in a way which is often quicker because the vehicles that he produces are often far quicker than the the petrol equivalent vehicles <laughs> so i think the way he sort of adapted to the whole world to say look electric can be good if not better um, than the, its fuel equivalent for the vehicles um, alongside that of course he's also um, launching spaceships into space and getting new satellites up and on above earth to uh, ensure that we get better speeds for internet i incredible so tesla definitely a great example of a brand that sort of got sustainability at the forefront of its mind and have you signed up for the little brain chip as well <laughs> oh yes the neuro implants which i think are fascinating yes would i sign up for it I like to see myself as a relatively early adopter, having someone drill into my head and implant a chip to then make sure I'm, a, I'm connected to some smartphone somewhere, whatever it might be. I would rather see it on someone else first and make sure it's working, give it a couple of years testing, and then I'd probably give it a go. But um, yes, that's an interesting one. But again, something else that he's looking at sort of to, to make things a bit more efficient, whether it's sustainable or not, I don't know. But uh, a great example there. So yeah, Tesla and Elon Musk, they're doing a great job. And I think one, indus one industry as well that's sure to thrive throughout all of this because it's only just starting up is virtual experiences. So all of the things that obviously now we've been talking about this um, pandemic is going to go on. I mean, we definitely can't travel anytime this year. And, I'm, you know, there's no way we're allowed to leave Australia till at least Christmas time. And then beyond that, they're talking about it being like two or three years or whatever until things get anywhere near back to kind of normal and fluid and this whole virtual experience and we talked earlier about Coldplay not touring but broadcasting so I think that is it's an offset of sustainability that's been pushed forward by the pandemic so we're all even the fact that we're not all traveling to work it's helping the environment to a degree it's probably killing our sanity and things but there are things like we want to travel so bringing those virtual experiences to people I think we'll see a lot more brands pop up in that space we touched on it earlier too with some of the beauty um, products. I know the beauty and fashion industry, some of the ways they're having to adapt and change because consumers can't necessarily go and try on clothes. So through use of augmented reality and virtual reality, people can actually try on clothes in a virtual environment on their own computers or iPads, whatever they're using, um, and then experience what that product or the clothing looks like on them and then make that purchase accordingly reducing the necessity to actually have a go out to the actual shop. And likewise with some of the beauty products, um, I think even some of the makeup examples, you can see your how that makeup looks on your face, for example, or the colours that they match your skin tone, whatever it might be, um, on screen. 
uh, which I think is a great example of where perhaps this could be going. And like you said already, these sorts of things have almost accelerated what was inevitably going to happen anyway. Yeah, well, I think um, the the rise of a virtual assistant as well. So, yeah, that was a really good point about the beauty thing. So I went into the city the other day to try some different kind of foundations and skincare and things on. And normally the skincare, the assistants can test colors on your skin, but they're not allowed to touch you. You have to do it yourself and they can tell you how to apply the makeup. So it's almost like a makeup lesson. Um, as to, oh, you can try these three colors on your skin. And then they're kind of educating you at the same time because normally you expect someone else to do it for you. So this whole education process of, oh, you put these colors on here and you can see how that one blends in. So you're kind of and actually watching them do it on other people is quite interesting. You know, they put the products out for you and go, look, look I can't touch you. I can just tell tell you how to do this. <laughs> it's quite an interesting process. So in the future, that would be done by a virtual assistant or by a camera, I suppose, of kind of someone going to even make it even more sanitized and secure so there's no people in the shop. So you know what, Lise? I think in summary, the whole pandemic, I think, has perhaps put a little bit of a pause on brand messaging being based and focused around sustainability. But I think what it has done is accelerated, I think in conclusion here, it's accelerated the sustainability for many of these brands because we know what was inevitably going to happen in the future is now being brought forward. We have to do it now. And even things like working from home and people actually, the necessity for working space or working offices, are they perhaps as required as they were previously? Perhaps not. So those commercial spaces perhaps that have been used in the past how they get repurposed, I don't know, because if people are going to be working from home more so, again, less use for transport and everything else. So sustainability has become now um, more important than ever and certainly more in placing from his minds. Yeah, and it's kind of turned it to a different kind of turned it on its head a bit, hasn't it? Like you say, it's kind of like if we can't use this space for this, what else can we use it for? And because we've all been having to make do and use things for other purposes or sometimes we're not being able to get what you want to get, you're having to find an alternative way to do it, that it's become a bit of a problem-solving mindset. And that, and that's great. We're finally being shown what the problems with the planet and the earth are and we're taking it in our own power and working with the brands that we normally buy into and trust to kind of solve these problems. And we kind of look to them for that guidance. Um, so it'd be a nice one to revisit in a, in a couple of months' time um, and see what, what other kind of innovations are starting to come in some of the ones that we trusted and see whether Tesla's taken over your mind yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I think in, in, in short, sustainability as a, as a subject, I know we were discussing this right at the beginning about even just doing a little bit of research around what is sustainability and what are brands doing around the subject of sustainability. Um, it is so vast um, and it's something which I think I spoke about the other day, Lise, 20 odd years ago when I first started getting into brand design, let's say, and attending conferences and listening to the discussions, the roundtable forums at the end of these sort of conferences and exhibitions, where the subjects of sustainability was always at the top of the um, agenda. And people would always sort of openly discuss, with, you know, when we talk about the old style of recyclable packaging, who's doing it, what's what's the right approach. And it's still such an important factor in the consumer's decision when they're sort of associating or buying in a brand like you say it used to be something that get talked about at conferences and things like we've got this new paper and if you're doing an organic range and and it was kind of like oh wow we can have it in recyclable paper but it was too much of a cost offset it was like oh it's going to cost us a lot more money we won't whereas now yes the price has come down but it's also become a we have to have that like because that is diff- the, uh, per- the perception of us as a brand by having that as being recyclable. You can't imagine going to an organic market and buying something that was in a, you know, like a 
I don't know, a polystyrene container or something. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. So Lee, this has been brilliant. Uh, I was a bit concerned we could have spoken, we would have gone on for hours about this and luckily we've managed to sort of keep it sort of to a relatively decent time. And I, I completely agree. Picking this up again uh, on another podcast would be brilliant just to see how brands have perhaps changed again and really jumped back onto that. And maybe we could even maybe we could even pick out a few of the categories like we talked then about sustainable like well-being or food or whatever. So if people have perhaps got any thoughts on the ones that we want us to dig a bit deeper into, perhaps they can kind of give us a yell. Um, Liz, do you want to just give us your uh, the best way people to contact you? And for mine, they'll be in the the show notes. The best way is to find me on LinkedIn at Lisa Hastings or lisahastings.me is the website, and that's got all of my phone numbers, Instagram handles, all of those kind of things on. Superb. And you? Uh, mine will all be at the bottom of the show notes because I can't remember any of them. It's just probably the easiest thing. Um, you can just copy and paste or press on the links. Elon.mosk at... Yes, that's right. <laughs> Listen, I'm definitely up for that neural link thing. I'll be up for that straight away. <laughs> it's certainly improved my memory. Lise, listen, it's been lovely to speak um, and we'll catch up in the coming weeks for the next podcast. Thanks, Mark. Chat soon.